Welcome to episode 27 of the Forward from 50 podcast, where we interview people over 50 who are pursuing new direction for their lives. It's an opportunity for men and women to tell their stories, their way, in their own words. I'm Greg Gerber, the founder of Forward from 50, and your host for today's show. Today I'll be interviewing a Missouri man who hung on to a dream for more than 40 years before finally taking a vital first step toward making it a reality. Perry Gabbard worked as a logistics engineer for two major aircraft manufacturers. But while he was in college, Perry picked up a brochure about hiking along the Pacific Crest Trail. It's a 2,650-mile border-to-border backpacking trail that follows a path from Mexico to Canada along the top of some very large mountains. Perry's interest in long-distance hiking started when he was 16 years old and a high school student taking day hikes while visiting Sequoia National Park. During the hikes, Perry saw signs for distant places like the Sierra Trail. He learned he could actually travel all the way up the highest mountain in the continental United States, which is Mount Whitney, without needing technical climbing equipment. Years later, when his employer offered a severance package to higher-paid employees, Perry retired to start his hike rather than waiting until he left his job to begin planning. For Perry, the trip would not only become kind of an adventure, but also a pilgrimage, both spiritually and physically, to overcome some of the things that had taken control of his life. To tell us how hiking the Pacific Crest Trail gave him purpose and clarity, please welcome Perry Gabbard to the show. Thanks for joining me today, Perry. I really appreciate your time. Tell us a little bit about who you are and where you're from and what you did for a living before you turned 50. Thanks, Rick. First off, I really just want to say thank you for what you're doing, because I know it means a lot. A lot of us, as we turn 50 and older, or in my case, 60 and older, you begin to wonder what's, what's life all about. So I appreciate the guests you've had, your podcast, and the way that you're encouraging so many people. So yeah, thank thanks for what you're doing. Yeah, so I, I grew up in, in the West, in California, did a lot of backpacking and things like that uh, through my college years and military. We seemed to move further to the East, and we ended up in St. Louis working for McDonnell Douglas and Boeing. I had a, almost a seven-year stint as an aircraft mechanic, and I had finished my degree while I was there. And those two things together help qualify me for a field that we might summarize call it supportability, looking at new designs, analyzing them, and helping prepare for a new design as it reaches the field and new mechanics are going to use that, and also help impact the design for supportability. So a lot involved with that. Uh, later in my life, got involved with program management and, and advanced designs and a lot of fun stuff. I am a father of three boys, my wife and I. Been married 46 years in a few weeks and just love, love raising the boys, having a great time of going on adventures with them. And also now having five grandchildren. And perhaps that's the greatest joy in our life is seeing our grandkids as they grow. Grandkids are a blessing. That's for sure. Oh so, my goodness. Yeah. What was the most important thing or best thing that you accomplished before you turned 50? Yeah. All of those personal things are very important. Um, and I have to say too, for me and my personal relationship as a Christian with my Lord and Savior, my accomplishments involved a lot of, I, I reached the height of my career field 
in, in helping lead teams, working in a role that was a lot like a technical fellow without having the title. So traveling around the country, working for Boeing, doing a lot of work on new designs and feeling like we were making a difference within that field for people who would be doing what I used to do ages ago, working on them, helping in some way that their life might be a little easier to help maintenance and other things. So, and that was fulfilling. I always you know, thought I wanted to do that, but probably impacting the lives of young people through involvement in different activities with church. And uh, that was, that's very important. And being able to see many of them later in life and knowing that you just had a small part in being a part of that relationship, that's a, that's really pretty precious. Now, after you turned 50, your life took an interesting twist and you went on an, I guess you'd call it an adventure, right? So when I was in college, I had picked up a brochure about something called the Pacific Crest Trail. It's one of three basically border-to-border -border trails that, that backpackers will travel. So I dreamed of doing that for 40 years. And so after turning 50, I had the chance at the age of 57 to take that long trek, 2,650 miles from Mexico to Canada, doing that over four long years, summers, four long hikes, and really fulfilling that long-term dream. And then finally, in the last, uh, last couple of years, I finished a book about it, and it's been exciting to share that. And that's, I'm, I appreciate the chance to talk a little bit about that. Were you hiking all by yourself or did you go with a group of people? Yeah, a really good question. A lot of people wonder about that. I began on my own without any partners. There were points along the way that I synced up with people several times to hike in small groups. So I think there were basically three different groups at different times, but probably I would say maybe as much as two thirds of the trip where it was a lot of solitude seeing hikers, talking to people, occasionally camping with someone, but much of that time alone. With these groups, did these occur because they were planned or were they unplanned encounters? Yeah, very good question. That They were unplanned. Uh, for the most part, we call them a trail family. There's a nickname called Tramily. And you tend to find each other at the same place and time and traveling about the same speed. You get along together. And so you decide to join up and, and travel as a group. And of course, there's a lot of joy in that. Lots of different people from all over the world travel on these hikes. It was very interesting. Usually the problem would be when you come to a resupply town is that perhaps they had chosen a different town and a different place and you have to leave the trail to go get supplies. Or sometimes people may become injured or other reasons, other personal reasons they have to leave the trail. At that point, you, we have a phrase that is H-Y-O-H and that's hike your own hike. Ultimately, you have to say goodbye and you, you take off. And then every now and then you might meet some other folks. So it's comes and goes, ebbs and flows. I would say it's probably, I don't know. I, I don't know how typical it is that you're with the same group all the way. I read about it, but I didn't experience that in particular. One thing about the Pacific Crest Trail, and I think it's important to note that it's the crest. You're going over the mountains, not along the coast. But it's neat that interesting or different that yours does not really go through a lot of towns when you're on that trail, as opposed to the Appalachian Trail, 
where they have towns all over the place that people, the hikers are encountering. Yes. The nature of it is it's a little more remote, which has, it's good and it's bad. <laughs> there are numerous times when you may have to travel seven, eight, 11, 12 miles, usually by hitchhiking, sometimes having to hike to a point where you can then get to a town where you have usually what I, one of the approaches is to pre package and ship your resupply packages to that location. That That's pretty typical. And the PCT is more remote in that regard. And so it's a little bit of a challenge. I had never hitchhiked a day in my life. And yet it also opens you up to the experience of really meeting complete strangers in a way that you, I call it the kindness of strangers. People don't even know you. For some people that frightens them, but it didn't me. I'm with an old guy with a white beard and smile and wave and put a little deodorant on after you've been on the trail for five or six days and try to be friendly. And most of the time you met some very interesting people. So it opens up an opportunity for meeting people and conversation. What prompted you to take this hike? Yeah, I mentioned the 40-year dream. It never really died. But I share in the book, it really was writing the book, the act of writing it, that I realized little by little even when I was in high school at the age of 16, I, we were visiting as a family in Sequoia National Park. I took several day hikes and I saw signs for these distant places, the High Sierra Trail that would lead you. When I got back to the visitor center, gathered up some writing and some maps, I found out, wow, this goes all the way. You can actually travel all the way up the highest mountain on the continental United States, Mount Whitney. And you could do that without technical equipment. And wow. My 16-year-old brain was all excited about this. My parents were a little leery, and I found a couple of backcountry rangers that said, yes, your son would be safe with some precautions that he could do this. And so we were really, I was bought, had them bought in. I don't want to take away from, there's something rather exciting in chapter three that happens that basically <laughs> something a little tragic with a friend of mine on, another, on a separate trip that caused my parents to cancel that trip. So I was going to travel alone even then. So I was a, I grew up an only child for 12 years before we adopted my sisters. And I realized too, that I, much of my reading, some of my mentors that were backpackers suggested reading Colin Fletcher and he traveled on these long distance solo hikes in 1960s and early seventies. He was the authority, wrote the book called the complete hiker. But when I read stories called the thousand mile summer. And also one called The Man Who Walked Through Time. Each of those, it just fed this idea of doing long distance and solo hikes. And when we finally picked up that brochure in, in Los Angeles when I was going to school, it just, everything came together. And at the time, it was a big adventure for the most part. Looking at it now as it percolated through the years, it became not only an adventure, but really, I think it really was a bit of a pilgrimage, not just physically, but spiritually. It really opened up an opportunity for me to overcome some things that had taken me into control of my life. I share a little bit about that in the book. I am a recovering alcoholic. And I realized I needed to address that before I could get on this trip. And so it became a forcing function. And so when I look though at the pictures, there's such joy. I was experiencing freedom a new beginning at turning the page in the chapter of your life, right? And leaving the professional world, everything that you were, all of the titles, 
all of the meaning that you may have had through being this, this important figure within your profession, we're now leaving that behind. And so the question is, who are you going to become? And this trip allowed for that to be stripped, stripped that down. And it helped me through a process of, I'll just use the word redemption for me personally, because I love doing this. And some of the places we traveled that I traveled were in locations that I had traveled as a youth growing up in California. So I, it was, there was a pull, there was a draw there. And I described that like the orbit of like a lunar orbit, the way that the moon orbits the earth, it goes from apogee from its farthest point to perigee and its closest point. Felt like my professional life, I had pulled away from a close relationship with the God of my understanding. And I had, it was time to draw near. And so my first blog subtitle was to return, retreat, and renew along the Pacific Crest Trail. And that truly was what this, it ended up being. And that's what I share in the book. And in fact, those become sections. It was remembering the call, returning, the, these places where I began, retreating there, and then finding renewal. And I love that. For me, that's become not just a once in a lifetime thing, but an annual event and to get away and spend some time alone, but also even throughout my day, pausing, stopping, regrouping, reconnecting, and then, and then proceeding forward. So I love that idea. And it, this trip became a fulfillment of that idea for me. Did you decide to do the hike after you retired or did you retire to do the hike? I really did retire to do the hike. I had an opportunity given to me to retire early. Um, there was a package. They were clearing the house of the higher paid older workers and they offered a severance package and I could retire with all the benefits and take that package at, at the age of 56. And I had been thinking about this actually for a while and I had been planning, running the numbers. But my wife is, was a teacher. She didn't have a desire to retire early. And so it seemed to work out that she would want to re keep working and I would retire early and begin my preparation for this lifelong dream and adventure. So it, it was after retirement and it did motivate me to take that step. Everyone at work that I had a lot of adventurous people I worked with were all excited and wanted to follow you. And that was really the impetus for beginning a blog and sharing along the way. And it, it was fun. I found out people really enjoy following you vicariously on your trail journals to see where's he at and what's happening and is he going to make it? After a few years, is he ever going to make it? Right? Yeah, that's right. Exactly. So it was great. So you wrote a book about your experience. Is that something that just talks about your mindset and going on the hike or what you encountered on the hike? I wrote the book a little to tell my own story, but I wanted it to be more than a memoir. I really wanted to people to understand all of the ups and downs and discouragement, disillusionment, joy, excitement, frightening encounters, the different points along the way, but beauty in the relationships, the kindness of the people you meet, unexpected gifts in terms of finding, for instance, a group at the very end of this hike. I was in the middle of pandemic and I had this beautiful experience of the people I had right at the end of my hike that just turned out to be exactly what I think God had in store for me. So I, it was a great, it was a great opportunity to share that. When I was on the trail, I think it was my third session out, the third of four years of doing this. 
I don't mean to sound real mysterious, but I didn't hear any audible voice, but I felt very clearly that God had provided three messages of three words. One was to finish the work. The other was to share the joy. And the final one was to remove the barriers. And so finish the work for me was my work of recovery. I had not fully completed all of that effort and it's never really done to finish the trail, which was still to be years away and finish a book. I began to hear actually from people who read the writings, they said, you really need to write a book. And so after the third or fourth time of hearing that, he said, maybe there's something to that. And I, after hearing that and using some of my trail blogging as a source material for some of that, I had a chance to basically tell in the first part of the book, kind of the buildup of how did I, how does it come to be that you wanted to do this? And the change that God was bringing about in my life to do that. And some of the challenges, I'm honest in the book about, I don't really make it too big a deal, but I like to mention the story of recovery because that, and even the difficulties of, I had some injuries, I had to pull off the trail my first year after a thousand miles, all of that, people need to hear that message and know that, you know what, don't give up. Exactly. You didn't get it. It didn't get done in a, in one year. And that does not define you, and it does not define success for you. And so coming back at it and coming back again and again, and, to, and much like recovery. Recovery, if anyone's familiar with that topic or those they love, it's not a straight path. So I really wanted that to be an encouragement, to be honest and vulnerable and truthful. At this point in my life, you know what? I don't have to worry about what somebody thinks. I honestly, I've gotten past that, the fear of what other people think. And I like to believe, it seems that every time I share the story personally or pieces of that, and I have had opportunities to speak, particularly men's groups, we end up having some personal conversations later and it opens the door for people to be transparent with their own challenges. And in some ways, I think of it a lot like poker. We, you ante up and... Pretty soon, other people are willing to say, yeah, you've opened the door. And let me tell you, I, I need, I have some challenges. Men in particular, I think. Exactly. Where we don't, we guard that and we don't, we don't talk about it. And so anyway, I found that meaning and purpose in my life at this point in helping others I work in the area of recovery, helping others. And every time I do, and every time I'm doing that or sharing my story, and sharing that in this book, I have to believe that's being used for a higher purpose. And another higher purpose is we're using all the profits don't go to me. They go to a, a youth adventure organization through High Hill Christian Camp. It's called Step Out Mo. Not only Mo as in Missouri, where we live, but also from Mo Adventure, Mo Growth, and Mo Service. So we've had one event. We got that started this year after the book launch. We're receiving some royalties there. And now we're really looking forward to some big trips next year, but this is a building year. And so we had 26 involved with a activity in May and we're getting ready for another one in August here. So what did you, you know, so that idea of sharing the joy through speaking, through writing and through these events, providing opportunities for other people to experience something like this. I don't want anybody to think they need to do an extreme crazy thing. Through hike. That that was my my thing. And there are a few 
minor, very small percentage of people that may be inspired to do that, but just stepping out. So the book is called Stepping Out on an Adventure of Faith, uh, what I learned about trusting God while on the PCT. And so I find that theme of just stepping out, encouraging people, step out your door. We're insulated in our houses. Our HVAC system, sometimes our heat, heating, we, we stay indoors. That's right. Uh, Was your family supportive of this? How did they react when you said, hey, I'm at 57 years old, going to go hike uh, along the entire Pacific Crest Trail? I would say that generally they were supportive. There are many friends and some members of family who I think it was rather quizzical because it's not something that they might do. We took our boys backpacking and, and did that. Several of my boys totally love it, get it, were excited about it. I think others, what are you doing? Especially the idea of disappearing for what could have been five and a half months at a time. It turned out to be several months or a month at a time. That's, people get concerned and I understand it. And so there's different levels of you know, understanding and encouragement. I describe it in the book. I said it was, sometimes you get a look like you might as well say you're going to go walk on the moon. You're going to what? Especially for Midwesterners. What is this? Through hiking. That's right. We can't imagine walking from Texas to the top of Minnesota <laughs> through all oh. the cornfields and things like that. No. Yeah. yeah. What was it like to be disconnected on the trail completely? No email, no telephones, nothing. Yeah. So I did have a safety device. The whole time I was out, I had a one-way device. It was a spot, little device, and I had preset messages. And as long as I could acquire a GPS signal, I could send a preset message. And it was always the same one that I chose. And that was, hey, I'm fine. Love you. I'm at near at or near where I'm supposed to be. And, and so it would actually send my family and whoever, the other friends that were following a link, and they could click that link and actually open up a topographic map and they could see exactly where you're at when you were sending that signal. There was occasional cell phone coverage. So yeah, it's a little bit different. You tend to get a lot done when you're in a town or when you have cell phone reception and you're trying to upload your latest blog entry or you're trying to ask for some kind of change in what gear you're going to need and that sort of thing. So it's, it's not quite, for most people, it sounds pretty frightening, but it's, I don't think it's as frightening as it, as it could be. There are now, and I actually have acquired two-way devices in which you can receive as well as send real like text messages. The Garmin. I think a so lot that's... of a lot of people would be find it difficult not only to do the hike, just the physical challenge of doing that, but to be alone, completely alone with nobody else around you and your thoughts mm -hmm. for weeks at a time. Was that concerning for you, or did that? How did you react at, to that? I'll say, at different times, I reacted in different ways. My second time out. I explained, I became a little bit disillusioned when I came back, a little disillusioned with the experience that the people I was meeting and some of the interactions, but the, and some of the circumstances. And I share about meeting a guy who had lost his wife a couple of years before as a gentleman from Australia, wonderful man. But he, I told him, yeah, I'm about to celebrate my 39th anniversary. And he looked at me and he said, what are you doing here, mate? And I have to be honest, the rest of the, for the week after that question kept echoing in my head. And I thought, what am I doing here? Is this just about you? Yeah, there were discouraging moments, disillusionment. I came home, took a year off, 
But eventually, I just, that desire came back to finish it. So the loneliness for me was an opportunity to draw near to my God. It sounds real romantic or real mystic. I'm not a super spiritual person. I just, it gave me an opportunity to learn to trust, to learn to have faith. And I didn't just wake up and do this one day. I progressively did more independent hiking and you get used to that. And so there's strategies and things. And I, I would, there's a wonderful Psalm, Psalm 91 that I share in the book that just became my, it's called, I think it's called the warrior Psalm that soldiers often recite, but it just talks about God's presence and assuring you that he's right there by your tent. He's keeping bad things at bay. It was interesting, even in the midst, in 2020, it talked about even the plague and the pestilence that he would help you. So it's not a guarantee, but there's certainly a reassurance that, that God's with you. You're not alone. Oh, I felt that a faith muscle was being stretched and grown. And ultimately I feel today, I, I grew in ways that I never would have had I not taken this opportunity to, so starting with small trips and expanding more and having opportunities to be alone. I did meet up with my wife a few times along the way. I met up with some friends that decided to come out and greet me. So it wasn't all complete solitude. And it's, that's neat. I am an extrovert. So that's a challenge for, for an extrovert to be alone that much. Exactly. What kind of preparation was required to do this in the terms of physical training, financial investment, mm. and that type of thing? Wow, that's a good question. I, so I am by nature. My, my field was integrated logistics support and logistics. I was all about planning and having everything available when you need it. I went into hyperdrive for a year beforehand. I would take, this is my week. I'll take two weeks to just examine all the alternatives for, for my tent or my backpack. When down the list, I would read and consume just all kinds of information. Now we have so many forums and groups that are helpful, books and resources that make it much easier to plan for and learn uh, how to go about this. So I had to completely retool my, my hiking. I had a lot of backpacking equipment, but almost all of it was jettisoned. And so little by little, you make decisions through each of those different gear choices. My training, I had been a runner and a long distance runner at times, and it taught me a lot. I even had a chance to do some, I did marathoning and then I even did what's called ultra marathoning. And that's an, it's interesting. It sounds crazy, but you actually back off your speed because you're going such long distances. And if you come to a hill, you just power walk the hill. You don't run and aggressively pursue it. So I learned about how do I feed myself to keep myself going. And I learned some of those things along the way, my food choices, all the little things along the way you, and even if you don't, if you ever watched the movie Wild, Reese Witherspoon goes on the Pacific Crest Trail, and it's more of a redemption story, but you see her starting off with this monster pack. And we have a phrase, I think almost all through hikers say that the trail will school you. You may make a lot of changes along the way, but my preparation physically, I would, I would each year that I knew I was going, I would set out a training schedule, much like I did my running, and I would hike greater and greater distance begin to hike with my pack and slowly add weight to it. And, and then once I got into the hiking was to ease myself into it, knowing that I have a body. I said, my, 
My, my engine is strong like a car, but there's a few squeaks in the chassis with some of my tendons and muscles. And so you have to accommodate an older body the way you go about it. So planning and organizing and training physically and getting all these packages together. Oh my goodness. There's just all of the resupply points. Calling ahead, making sure, are you still a good resupply point. And how much do I need for each of those? Five days, six days. I think my biggest was nine days of food for a long stretch. So how much water? Where are the water stations along the way in the Southwest? Those are all, water becomes an all-consuming thing, especially the first 700 miles of the trail. And But there's tools, things called a water report, at least when I was doing it, where people would crowdsource a document and tell other hikers I was just there so many days ago and the flow of water was this good or not. Okay. Don't go up trail two miles because there's nothing there. All of those sort of comments were gathered in a water report and were made available to others. So you really benefited from the technology. From a cost perspective, what did it cost you to prepare for this and to go on that hike? Yeah, that's a good question. The Just the gear choices alone, I I, I ended up probably... Oh, I just throw out a high number. I'm guessing I might have spent as much as $800 on gear. There were some choices that really reduced weight that I chose to spend a little more. And I have to be honest, I had a privilege of being retired with a pension and I could afford maybe some things that younger hikers might not. And then, yeah, the places having to stay, I chose to be able to stay at times in a hotel or a hostel. And so... Again, you know what? I've never really sat down and calculated the cost. I'd be willing to bet that I spent $2,500 to $3,000 for all the specialty food and items and things that you needed to get you, you know, 2,600 miles plus stopping off. And I guess, and then you have airfare traveling. So that's still far less than I expected it to be. So that's cool. Yeah. Uh, what kind of challenges did you encounter on this journey? Yeah, good question. I think the biggest challenges when you look at it really are mental. There are great physical challenges. I think you slowly get used to that, but there's a lot of keeping yourself mentally positive and in the game and not letting things discourage you. I, for me in recovery, the triggers of we use HALT, the acronym, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? H-A-L-T. And so was always hungry, lot, lonely a lot, and tired a lot. So those things, I realized if I would just do a little bit of self-care. So what kind of rewards did you get from this experience? How did that help you with your life, especially being over 50? Yeah, it's a really good question. They were the reward of really it, having a life, almost lifelong, 40-year dream, uh, something that had been so far off and seemed so wondering whether it would ever happen. Seeing that through in itself was fulfilling, but also having a lot of encouraging people along the way, that, that really helped. And that was a real reward to see how much it meant to people. I didn't realize everyone, so many people that enjoy following you vicariously and were a source of great encouragement. And probably one of the greatest rewards, I think, is stories that were learned and the way that those stories, I found that there's Psalm 19 says that the heavens declare the glory of God. Day to day, they pour forth speech. And it became very, I became very aware as I would walk 
and talk with God and ask for wisdom. Show me and teach me wisdom. I understand what your word says. But I began to look at examples like Solomon, who would say something like, go to the ant, oh sluggard, about the lazy guy. And it occurred to me that here's a guy who had obviously spent a lot of time watching ants to, to observe their behavior. And he learned something from that. He shares in the book of Proverbs this wisdom that he observed, that they work all year long preparing for winter. They're gathering and storing, and they're working together. And he uses that as an example. Or whether it was Jesus himself who said, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't toil. They're not spinning. They're not worried. Consider the birds of the air. Doesn't God take care of them? What about you? So there were things. So those are obvious ones I knew from reading. But there were other times that I became very aware of a wisdom that came from, I would say, word pictures in nature, things that happened in nature that would be, wow, this was, a, this was meant for me as a lesson. And I would gain, and so that reward was to receive that and then learn to write it and describe it in a way that I can now share with others. And so the reality of those experiences and the stories, that was a great reward. And frankly, the overall learning to trust and grow in my personal faith in this whole experience, that was probably the biggest reward. I feel today that my, my relationship with God, having removed some of those barriers that were in the way, sharing the joy of walking and talking every day, that is a newfound reward that is greater in this season of life after the hike. And I love to, I, in fact, my motivation is to share that and encourage others to just begin that, take the next step. Don't need to do this extreme thing, but just the reward of sharing that with others and occasionally seeing people that latch, they grab onto that and it makes a difference. So I think in many ways, that's my, one of my, my goals for this, whatever years that I have left is not only to share that joy of the story, but also share the experiences. And so this entire aspect of starting a ministry for youth to get out and do more. So many, we've lost some of our generation of kids who are their game, their heads in the video game. It's in the cell phone. There's a lot of adults that are lost in that. And we, the encouragement to step out, engage, seeing that, cultivating that, and especially seeing this boom post-pandemic. Oh my goodness. Outdoors and the activity and the number of people I see on hiking trails, wow, it's just blossomed. So there's been a new awareness there. So that the reward is in sharing that experience and stories of the wisdom in a way that can help others. So really, that's what it gets down to. Can I help others along the way? I would imagine there's a sense of accomplishment as well, especially when you were forced to leave the trail in your first year and you kept going back doing pieces and pieces of it, because I think you'd probably have had regret if you didn't finish it at some point. Yeah, that's, you're really right. I, after I was so disillusioned, openly wondered as I wrote was maybe that was it. Maybe I really wasn't meant to do the whole thing. And, and maybe this is all, I just was meant to learn something and I never really finished it. But yeah, it was very emotional when I did get to complete it, the feeling of taking that final step on a 2,650 mile journey, many things had, as I described it, attempted to get in the way of that. And even we had a personal health issue in our family. In 2019, I had been physically in place to finish the whole thing. All the boxes were prepared and a couple were shipped. And I was in Portland, Oregon with a cousin 
and I uh, received a text message literally the day before I was to begin the hike that told me there was a significant health issue with a loved one at home. And I immediately that night, I was back in St. Louis by the morning. There were, it seemed, I wondered what, oh my goodness, is it ever going to happen? And then pandemic. Yes. I share about that in the book. The Pacific Crest Trail Association issued us all permits when we applied for them and then came back and said, don't go. And I thought, oh my goodness, here we are. I'm not going to, something else is going to be in the way of this. Eventually, I share that story. The U.S. Forest Service stepped in and said, you know what? They're the ones with real authority here. And they said, if you have a valid permit, you're good to go. Two months after the fact. And, but the whole time, even today, the Pacific Crest Trail Association will not recognize 2020 through hiker finishers. They, that's, so that's, I'll just say that's the left coast. Uh, they, uh, it's, isn't that interesting that they choose because you chose to go where we were called rogue hikers. You were out there doing a rogue thing. So anyway, there was a sense of, am I ever going to get this done? And so it made the completion of it that much sweeter. And yeah, I'm glad. And then to be able to write about it, it would have been an incomplete story had I not finished. So is this ministry that you're doing with the youth, is that your new sense of purpose or are you still working somewhere? I am not. So I do. I say a lot of volunteer work and then this new effort with the youth, it doesn't occupy at this point, a ton of time, but the camp that I'm working with, I love to do camp work, physically working there to improve the wilderness area of that. There's a real personal mission and a little bit of speaking and writing, but I find myself doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one work with different people in different settings. And realizing that may be the most important thing is to pour into individual lives as we come across different situations. And, and guys in particular, <laughs> we, we, we can tend to hole up and become, be loners. And so, yeah, I stay busy, not with a job, so to speak, but very much an avocation and working all of this together to really serve a higher purpose. Are you still in touch with some of the people you met on the trail? In fact... I have, not as many as I might imagine, but uh, yeah, so I, sharing the book, having some conversations, it's wonderful to, to see other people and their successes and challenges and then be able to reconnect. But it's not as many as you might imagine, just pretty much a small number. Do you have any regrets or are there any, is there anything that you would do over if you had to start today? I had thought about that and I, I honestly, I've come to a point in my own personal life that I, and I teach this a lot to other people. The phrase was given to me, so it sounds a little crude, but they said, don't should on yourself. It's a little crude, but the idea that, oh, I woulda, I coulda, shoulda. Actually, I've come to a level of acceptance in believing that things are unfolding as they should, and they may not be perfect. And I make, make a lot of mistakes, but that somehow together between my choices and my life and God's purpose and will and his sovereign power in my life, somehow that comes together to co-author my life. And so I, it's not a fatalism, but I think there's a level of acceptance. And so I look back and say, oh my goodness, I wish I hadn't been lost in a bottle for so many years, but you know what? That has not been wasted. That experience has enabled me to be of use. Now that I'm healed, I can be of use to exactly. other people. And I, I, there, there was a time when I greatly regretted that. I still see some damage in some relationships that some people choose to, their program to work, but I, I love and accept them. And so I'm going to say, 
at this point, no. Things have happened as they have, and I am I'm glad that's all been of use. And I have enough life ahead of me, I pray, that I can use that to help other people in some way. My experience, your strength, your hope. How did I get through that? Together, my wife and I have been through unemployment, infertility, cancer for my wife, uh, on and on. All of life's circumstances. Uh, use it, losing my mom at a relatively young age. Um, a lot of things. That, but each of those, rather than be, at the time, I had your, your struggle and think, what in the world is going on? And yet later, as we look back, we begin to understand and see some kind of understanding of how that can be used to help build us into the person that it were meant to be and accomplish our life's purpose. That's an excellent perspective. Is there any advice you would give to people over the age of 50 to either help them identify or pursue their passions? I love putting little quotes in each of my chapters of the book. But chapter one is something that I hold on to and I share a lot with others as I, depending on the person I'm writing, signing a book for. But it's C.S. Lewis's quote that said, you're never too old to set another goal or dream another dream. And it was just last night, we were watching the, music, the movie, The Mule with Clint Eastwood. But there's a, there is a song that was, ended up being played at the end of that, that Toby Keith wrote, if you're a country Western fan. He and Clint Eastwood were at a charity fundraiser golf event. And Toby asked Clint, he, I forgot how old he was, he's in his mid eighties, but he said, how, what keeps you going at this age? He said, every day I get up and I don't let the old man in. And from that, he wrote the song, Don't Let the Old Man In. And you have to Google it if you haven't heard it already. But to me, I said, several of those become a mantra that I love to share with others. There's, I was just talking with my father this morning. He's struggling in his health. He just had a, a, a meeting with a health professional about getting a little scooter to get him around. And that's a big step. But I was reminding him of one of his brothers that went through a similar experience. And I said, you know what? There was still meaning and purpose and things that you can do even in that it seems that we've lost our independence. It seems that I've lost the ability to do what I used to do, but there are many things you can do. And I tried to gently remind him. I said, "There's, you can call, you can text, you can write. There's a lot of way that you can be of encouragement in sharing your story and sharing your life, even at this point where it seems that you're coming to the end. C.S. Lewis, <laughs> you're never too old exactly. to set another group and set some new goals. And even with whatever physical limitations or other things come along. What's the title of your book again, and where can people buy it? It's called Stepping Out on an Adventure of Faith. You can buy it on Amazon. We're not with other publishers yet. We'll be working on that in a few weeks here. But yeah, we published it self-published. And I say in my dedication, there's no such thing as solo hike or self-published because it, there's an entire team of people that brought that about. And you know, that's exactly so, right. So please, and again, the profits are not for me. This is for, it helps fund this adventure ministry. And I encourage people buy a book and send a kid to camp or buy some, there's a lot of Father's Day gifts and graduation gifts and others that have, they've used this as a source of inspiration for a lot of different ages. I think you'll enjoy the read. I think you'll. I hope you'll find it inspiring. And that's great. How can I, people connect with you? Sure. I have, I'll give you my email. That's Perigee. That's my trail name. P-E-R-I-G 
at gmail. Perigee31 at gmail. I love to hear your stories. I love when people share them with me. And I love to, to interact and answer any questions at all. I also have a website, inspiretoseek.com. That's inspiretoseek.com, all together. That's wonderful. Thank you very much, Perry. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. I found it encouraging and inspiring. I could never walk that far, I don't think. So I applaud you for getting out of your comfort zone and not giving up, but seeing it through to completion. Thank you, Greg. I really enjoyed Perry Gabbard's story about having a dream to climb the Pacific Crest Trail and holding on to it for 40 years before taking his first step on the route. Perry's analogy of his career being the apogee, or furthest point it could be from experiencing life to the full, was profound. I think a lot of people feel that way when they get into their 50s. They know in their hearts that there must be more to life than what they're living at the moment. They too feel drawn to something but are often fearful of taking that first step. Fortunately, Perry took that essential first step of faith toward moving in the direction he felt he was being pulled toward. Although Perry did not hear an audible voice on his hiking excursion, he still felt God was sending him three distinct messages. Number one, finish the work. Number two, share the joy. Number three, remove the barriers. Finishing the work involved completing the steps to overcome an alcohol addiction, as well as actually completing the trail after four long summers of hiking. Sharing the joy involved blogging about his adventure to inspire others. It also meant writing a book about his experience and the lessons he learned along the way. The hike worked to remove some faith barriers which stood in Perry's way from having a closer relationship with God. Today he's committed to sharing those lessons with others. Like the rest of us, Perry had some regrets about things he did and didn't do in life. But he knows those years were not really wasted because they led him to a point where he knew he needed God to get back on track. Perry tells people all the time they shouldn't should on themselves because to dwell on the woulda, shoulda, couldas of life is unproductive. Although he admits to making many mistakes in life, somehow his choices and God's purpose, will, and sovereign power came together to redeem those wasted years. Perry's book, Stepping Out on an Adventure of Faith, What I Learned About Trusting God While Hiking the PCT, is available on Amazon. People can connect with Perry by emailing him at perigee, P-E-R-I-G-E, 31, at gmail.com, or by visiting inspiretoseek.com. People can also download a free copy of his ebook, Kickstarting Your Journey to a Greater Connection to God, by visiting his website. That's all I have for this week's show. If you'd like help in identifying a purpose for your life or to get help planning your next steps, I'm offering a complimentary brainstorming session to members of the Forward from 50 Facebook community. For details, connect with me on Facebook or visit www.forwardfrom50.com. I'll have another inspirational interview on the next episode of the Forward from 50 podcast. Thanks for listening. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review wherever you download the episodes.